as we continue into this series, Influence, but also as we move out of it. That's something that uh, I really want to do is, is allow you guys to share in those testimonies of people that have influenced you and the things that God is doing in our lives, and I don't think we share it enough. But this morning, uh, we are going to be in the book of Daniel, and uh, I want to come to you this morning, and I want to ask a question as we get started, and in that, the, the thought of this is, if you stop for just a minute and began to think back and look at different people in your lives, some of those that were the most influential, it could be those of your, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, a pastor, an uncle, an aunt, a teacher, a coach, uh, and, and that list can go on and on and on. For me, I, I guess I, I'll, I'll mention a few and, and throughout the introduction and get into the points this morning, but uh, one of my very first baseball coaches that I ever remember is a name, Bill Tolbert. It's a gentleman that I, if I were remembering just, I don't know, I was probably seven or eight years old, and uh, Bill was always a firm kind of a man, but yet he was uh, probably, I guess I remember everybody would say before, like, oh, Coach Tolbert was just mean and strict, and like he was that kind of a guy, and as a kid, I, you know, everybody, nobody wanted to play for Bill, but everybody wanted to play for Bill because Bill's team's one. And so I remember Coach Tolbert, and one of the things I remember looking back, and I really do believe that a lot of my passion for the game of baseball was because of Bill Tolbert and how we played the game of baseball. If you've ever played Little League or you've watched Little League, there's different things, and I think it's different here than it was there, and it's different now than it was then, um, where you could actually steal bases and you could do stuff. Now you're not allowed to do a lot of that stuff. But we had a line. So there was a line like halfway between. And if you, if the ball came into the infield and you weren't past that line or uh, there was some of that, there was also stealing. Literally, Coach Tolbert, if it was, if it was five run, 10 run limits, his goal was to beat every team by 500. He did not care. We are running. That catcher cannot throw from first base or from home plate to second base, we're stealing. He can't throw it to third base, we're stealing. That's all that we just got on the base and we just ran around the bases. Every other team hated Coach Tolbert because that's how we played. Well, that's how I learned to play and that's how I coached, that's how I played and it was because of that. I also had a basketball coach in high school. My basketball coach in high school was almost the complete opposite. See, my basketball coach in high school, I played basketball just because I enjoyed it. I loved baseball. I enjoyed playing basketball. It was fun. I was athletic enough. I could play the game. I wasn't a horrible ball player, but I enjoyed playing the game. This basketball coach, though, because I didn't play basketball all day, every day, all year long, he didn't really care for me. Well, junior year, I just said, you know what? I'm not playing anymore, and I quit. I didn't play basketball anymore. I just played church rec league basketball, and that was okay because I could enjoy it. But there was two coaches that had the opportunity to make an impact. One of them literally drew me to love a game. One of them caused me to quit a game. I had a high school baseball coach, my, my varsity baseball coach, uh, Coach Gabel 
was about six foot four, six foot five, I don't know, 275, a monster of a man. Not, there was, when you look at him, you'd go, baseball, not so much. Football, absolutely. But my baseball coach was a monster of a man. I was a, uh, how do you say it in a decent manner? I was a hot-headed, arrogant punk. So we butt heads a lot. But I'll promise you this, to this day, probably one of the men that I have the most utmost respect for any man that I've ever met in my life was my baseball coach. Not because he was the best baseball coach, not because he was uh, any of those things, but this man had probably one of the most, the worst stutters I've ever experienced as an individual. He could not finish words or sentences. He would change words. He would start to say your name, and then he would change saying your name to go to something else because he couldn't stop with his, and he would just sit there. His eyes would go, and he would literally shake as he would say different things. But I look back as a now 40-year-old man, and I look back to those days, and I think of, one, I think we just were scared to death of him because he was a monster, But he faced that. He was a junior high PE teacher. The worst of the (laughs) As blunt of children as you could have would be junior high kids. And he was a varsity baseball baseball and football coach. But these people had influence in my life. There was a lot of different folks that I could put in that. But I say all of this because I, I, Mike made the statement, we did not choose each other, but I chose you for each other. Jesus said that, that, listen, you guys didn't choose this. I chose this for you. See, in all of our situations in life, God has not allowed things to happen in our lives as accident. God did not allow people to come into your lives that are accidental. There's nobody that's sitting in this room today that it was like just by happenstance that we came here. There are times that we've all had conversations and we would say, oh, that was really random. And in our minds, we would go, yeah, that's kind of random. How did I meet you here? There's people, there's a church family that's been coming to our church now for some time. And uh, two of them grew up in the same town, in the same high school together. One of them moved out to Vegas. And within the next two years, they both moved out to Vegas, did not know anything about it. We would look at that and we'd go, that's kind of random. But God has an intention and a purpose in all of those things. And as we look at this passage of scripture today, I can look at all of the bad moments in my life. I can look at the great moments in my life. I can look at people that uh, I would look at that would say that they just impacted me to be a better person. I could look at somebody uh, like that basketball coach who I don't have a lot of good things to say about him. I didn't really care for him. But there was things that I've learned along the way, and God intentionally put all of those different people in my life. See, this morning in the book of Daniel, I believe we see some of these same things. God that brings people into one another's lives that ultimately would never, ever connect. God has a way of taking us from random places and putting us in a situation, and we would go, again, that's really random, but to God, it was God's intense purpose to make that happen. Daniel chapter 1, 
I'm going to read some passages of Scripture. But in Daniel chapter 1, we see this. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed. So, so the king is saying, hey, go to the children of Israel, go to the, the Hebrew children, bring some of the, the princes, bring some of those that are of the seed of the highest of the highest, bring them to me, the children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So we know this story. God, again, God brings these two people together. Never would these people really come and sit in the same place. But the king said, hey, I need all of the, these Hebrews, I need them to come here. He's going to look at them, and he's going to pick the best of the best. It says those that are basically the smartest, the best looking, the most physically gifted, the most intelligent, so on and so forth. Then Daniel chose in verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel says, listen, I am not going to eat of those things. We know the story. I'm not going to eat of those things. There's the test. There's all of those things coming on. If we move down to verse number 19, he and the three Hebrew boys were tested in verse 19. And the king command, or communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king in, inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the astrologers, that were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus, or the king of Cyrus. So, so we know the story. They, they were strengthened. They were 10 times stronger and better than anybody else. The king allowed them to stay and remain. They were tested. They showed, then God really showed up. There was great influence, and together these men faced something that was tough. The four Hebrew boys, teenagers, snatched from their homes in Jerusalem, moved far away to Babylon, all of them were princes. All of them were in the royal family. All of them would have been, uh, they, they were the next in line. They were great. And now they were treated in this situation just rough. Being put to a test to see who was the best physically and mentally. And yet, and yet these are the ones that God had chose. See, the king didn't choose them to stand before him. God chose them to stand before him. God chose them to boldly proclaim because of their faith. God chose them and they were bold. And, and as we get into this morning, we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter number three. But I, I want to 
I, I just felt like as we, as we get into this passage, one, it's a passage that most everybody in here knows. There's the stories that we've heard. But I want us to stop and just think through that God intentionally put those four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in that situation. God intentionally did some of those things. You know, in your life, just like in my life, God has intentionally put people in your world that you may look at and go, I don't have influence over that. God intentionally put them into King Nebuchadnezzar's court and into kings, the king's face right there before him where they never would have ever sat. And those young men, because of their bold faith, were able to make an influence and an impact ultimately that has changed the course of history in many regards, but it's, it's eternal. And so I want us to think this morning, I want us to just, as we get into this, the influence in the face of the fire challenges us to a bold faith that will proclaim the Lord and influence the world around you. The title of the sermon is Influence in the Face of the Fire. If you would go with me to Daniel chapter 3, I'm just going to read a few verses, verses 13 through 18, but we'll be going through, kind of picking throughout the chapter uh, this morning. But in verse number 13, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then... They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye shall fall, or ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well... But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand, of hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. God, that we would listen, that we would hear, that our hearts and our minds would be open to you. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. The first thought is this, this, faith that influences boldly proclaims the Lord. Faith that influences boldly proclaims the Lord. In the verses, uh, the first 12 verses, uh, we see in that passage of scripture that, Dan, or that Nebuchadnezzar has gone out, he has built this humongous statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, uh, and it was placed in, a, in an area that everybody would have been able to see it. He brings all of the people together in verses 5 and 6, at what time you, or he brought all of the, the leaders of the cities and the, the towns around, all of the, the, the township leaders and the mayors and things of that nature. He brings them all together. And in verse number five and six, he says this, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, sultry, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and you worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. 
And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So he stands here. It would be our governor standing or our president standing and bringing in every leader of all of the towns, of all of the areas, and he brings them all together and he says, listen, here is the new idol, whatever, that you are going to bow down to and worship. And when we play the music and when we do these things, everybody shall bow down, everybody shall worship, and if not, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now you, go back to your people and tell them all of these things. They go back to their people. They tell them all of these things. We know the story. The people begin to bow and worship. The music is playing. The people are bowing. Everybody is worshiping except for the three Hebrew boys. The three Hebrew boys. And of course, that makes people angry because the king said, this is what we are supposed to do. Everyone is to bow. So somebody comes in, little Mr. Guy. Hey, king, I just want you to know that these boys aren't bowing and worshiping. Ah! Go get them and bring them in. But I want to stop for just a minute. I just, I just, I... I believe with everything in me as I was reading and studying. He said if you didn't do it within the hour, you'd be cast into the fire, right? So why did he look at the boys? Why did he say, go get them, bring them to me? Why didn't he say, go get them, throw them in the furnace? I don't know that this is the reality of what it is, but I believe at the same time the king remembered who the three were. He remembered that these boys were the same boys that were a part of the group of four that wouldn't eat and that they were ten times stronger at the end of the day. And he comes before him. So these three boys, they come before him. And again, we know the story. Maybe he was just in awe. He remembered, ah, these guys, they've been great. Have you ever, maybe you've had an employee as a boss or something and you, you know that you've got a discipline or whatever, but you're like, man, they do so good in all of these areas. Maybe it was something of that nature. I don't know. But he brought them all in. And in verse number 15, we see him. He, he, he comes to them. And Nebuchadnezzar in verse 14, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you will not serve? And he says, all right, I'm gonna give you one more chance. He's looking at them and he says, listen, I'm going to have this music playing and you're going to bow. I love their response. And he says, here we go. And they literally, they look at him in verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, sir, king, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. He says, they they basically look at him and said, we have no reason to give you an answer. I do not have to give you an answer as to why. You are not God. You are not this. I don't have to give you this reason, but just let you know, we will not bow down. Our God will protect or save us. And if he doesn't, Still, I will not, and we will not. So we know the story. The king does it. They do not. I wondered this, and I thought this. 
Is my faith boldly proclaiming the Lord? The simple thought of this first point is that faith influences boldly, or faith that influences boldly proclaims the Lord. See, these three boys that stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, their faith boldly proclaimed God. Listen here, sir. We respect you. But I believe that my God will take me out of this situation. And if he doesn't, I still will never bow before you. I wonder if my faith boldly proclaims the Lord. No, I've never had to face anything like this in my life. But I wonder if my faith would. I wonder if in the face of persecution that God's word has told us that we should expect it. I wonder if my faith would be strong enough that I would be bold enough. First Peter chapter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. These guys were partakers of the, the suffering, if you will. I can't help but think of the faith of God's people. Is my faith boldly proclaiming the Lord? I pray that I would never face a fire, but I wonder if my faith would boldly proclaim Christ. I wonder if the church, in the midst of hardships, would boldly proclaim God. I'm not going to lie in the midst of all that we've faced over the last eight, nine months, whatever in the world it is at this point. I've thought this exact thought. What would happen if something absolutely serious really hit the church? Would we have faith bold enough to proclaim God. I'm not trying to say that this, what we've faced, isn't serious. But there ain't nobody being thrown into the fire. We've got churches all over the place that still won't meet together. And I get that I'm not going into the, the realms of all of those things, but we have to have a faith that is bold enough to stand up and say, no, God has commanded and we will. There is a fine line. But these young men proclaimed the Lord in chapter number one. And here we are again. These young men stand before the king, knowing their lives were in danger, knowing this. But yet I would say this, and I would say this to all of us. They also knew that they were not alone. Do you think those three, the four of them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you think that they would have been able to say, on their own? I don't know. If it was just one of them and not the three of them together, we don't know. I would like to think that they would. Ecclesiastes speaks of a three-cold strand or the three-cord strand that's not easily broken, and I think that God puts people in our lives to encourage and strengthen us, but either way, I can't help but think of the times in my life that I've compromised. And then I look at this and I wonder is my faith boldly proclaiming the Lord. First very simple thought. Faith that influences boldly proclaims the Lord. 
The second thought is this, faith that influences troubles the lost. If we were to go and continue into verse number 19 on to verse about 25, we see kind of the next the next stage of the story, I guess, if you will. The story, it gets uh, better. The men proclaimed boldly that regardless, they would not bow. They even said, King, we don't even have to answer you. Just think about that. Just stop and think about that. I don't even have to give you an answer, but here's the reality. I will not bow down we will not. We believe that our God is greater. That our God will save us. Our God will step in. And it infuriated the king. What did he do? He was so enraged, and you know the story. He was so enraged that he said, hey, turn it up. Make that fire even hotter. To the point that when the, the, the men that would bound them, bind them up and they would carry them over and throw them into the fire, the men themselves were incinerated. That in and of itself, if you just stop for just a minute and think, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know, Monday morning quarterback. But if I'm King Nebuchadnezzar and I'm watching this, because he's watching this, and I see the dudes that are throwing these guys in, and now they're gone, and those guys weren't, before he ever saw them walking in the midst of the fire, he had to have gone, uh-oh, <laughs> oops, oops. Maybe not, I don't know, but when we look at this, the, the men, the, the, these young boys said that we believe that our God will. I'm not spending a lot of time on the anger. I don't want to, I'm really just kind of getting into some of the, the very simple thoughts here. But when you face the fire with faith, with faith, I believe with everything in me that that faith that you have will bring about trouble to those that are on the other side. It troubles our minds. It baffles the mind. How in the midst of all of the things that you are facing, how do you have a smile on your face? How are you able to stand upright? How are you able to go to work? How are you able to do this? How are you able to do that? Amongst all of the things that you are facing, amongst everything that, that is being placed in your life, how can you do this? Listen, I promise you, when you react in faith and by faith, that the people that are watching you are troubled when they do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior. They're troubled. This story is just one of a, a ton of stories that are the same exact thing, that people are troubled when God shows up. When you show up in the midst of workplace and you, uh, everybody knows this, the situation of cancer, everybody knows the situation of a passing of a loved one, everybody knows the pain, everybody knows the, the heartache of somebody sitting in a hospital bed, but you still are able to hold it together, not because you are strong, not because you're just at a, uh, you just, whatever, but that the faith of God is in you. The people around you are troubled. Why? Because they don't have the same peace within in them that drives them, that holds them, that carries them, that allows them. These three Hebrew boys, they weren't anything special. Yes, they had a good lineage. Yes, they, had, uh, they were princes, if you will. They had all of those things, but they were nothing special. They were just three Hebrew boys that had a bold faith. And in the midst of that bold faith, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
looks down in verse 24, and the king was astonished. He was troubled. He rose up in haste quickly and spake and said unto his counselors, he looked to the people around him, he looked to all the other officials, all the other leaders that were there, and he said, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. And in verse 25, lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. They're no longer bound. They're now walking about the furnace. Most likely the fourth man in the fire was the angel of the Lord, God himself in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. It is... Certainly true that when believers go through fiery trials, Christ is with them. Isaiah 43 and verse number 2 says this, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. God's word says he does not promise that he is not going to put you into the fire, but he promises that he will be with you in the midst of the fire. I don't know your story. I don't know the situation of every single individual in this room, but I promise you this. When we act in faith and we trust in God, that God shows up and he is with us in the midst of every single one of those trials that we have. The hardest to the smallest. They're all there. I look at it in this regard, and I've thought of this throughout reading it. Would these three boys been able to have stood in the fire if they didn't watch God provide for them physically when they said they wouldn't eat of the king's portion? Listen, all of us have the same story. If you genuinely know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you walk with God, you have a moment where you said, no, I won't do this like the three boys did with the food. Where it may not have been the biggest of things in all of the world, but you decided to step out on faith, which was a big step for you. And God showed up and God did something for you so that when the fire, the furnace of the fire was facing you, you were able then, because you looked back and you said, oh, God, I remember what that was like. And I remember that you came through and I remember that I can stand here today because I know that I can, because you have done it before. You will do it again. Listen, the faith, the bold faith proclaims the Lord. And I promise you, when you step out on faith and when we walk through the midst of that fire, I promise, I promise, I promise, one, God will be with you. But I promise also, the influence that you have is so strong. I can't help this week. I texted Kenny this week. I texted Mindy this week. I texted my mom. I don't know if if I texted my mom. I texted about three or four different people sitting in the back corner of Schemos. Once again, I'm writing my sermon. Tears are dro- scrolling down my face. And I, I just said, God, I, I don't. I stand where I stand today 
because there was times back here, there was a day back here where I said, God, I really don't know, but I'm going to take that baby step. And I have a mountain of evidence behind me, not of what Aaron did, but what God has done to say, Aaron, I'm all right. I've got you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I texted Kenny this this week, and I said this, and most of you in this room, you're family enough to understand this. We are on the verge as a church of writing a check to say, Paradise, we're completely 100% debt-free. And we can clap, we can clap. But I look at what I'm studying and I'm looking at a faith that boldly proclaims God, a faith that troubles. And I look back literally next weekend will be eight years ago that all of the fun at Oasis took place. And I look back and I think, God, eight years ago, all of my counsel said, bankrupt it, quit it, and start over. And today I cry because in all honesty, I told Kenny this. I wish I could call Alan and say, Alan, can you go with me and deliver a check? Not because Alan was a superhero, but he was a man that was firm in his faith for 50 plus years at Oasis Baptist Church. He was a rock for me. He was a rock for many of us. And I texted, I was actually texting Charlotte and I said, I just wish I could call Alan and say, Alan, gather Why? Listen, God has proven over and over and over and over again so that people do what? They go, how did that happen? Surely that isn't. No, it's God. Here's where it gets good. Not that that wasn't good. But a bold faith, a bold faith proclaims the Lord. A bold faith troubles the lost, and a bold faith influences the entire world. See, the faith of these three Hebrew teens was so bold that their influence has literally been around the world. God never told them when they were little in the palace as a prince that they would one day face a furnace. God never told them that one day they would have to boldly stand in the manner in which they did. God's never told you what's going to happen tomorrow. But he's given us the strength and the faith to face all of those things. God placed them there together. As God has chosen each person in the midst of this room God has put men and women in your lives that have influenced you, that have been bold in their faith that's influenced you, that has allowed you to take one step further. Alan was one of those guys for me when he said, Aaron can do it. I thought you've lost your mind. But over the course of time, Alan would always encourage and say, hey, Aaron, you're doing all right. Keep stepping forward. Hey, Aaron, you've made that decision. Let's look at it. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep moving forward. Many of you have been that. Mike has been that. Kenny has been that. My parents have been that. Tammy Huggins, you've been that to me. Robert, you've been that to me. You've been men and women that have encouraged me, that have encouraged me. Why? God put us here together. I'm just a kid from Ohio. 
I didn't even know what Las Vegas was. And that's not like a funny joke. I literally had no clue of the western part of the country. I was good to stay there. But my parents took a leap of faith to move out to Las Las Vegas. Listen, a bold faith influences the entire world. God orchestrates things. We may not believe that we have have the faith to take the next step. I've said things like, how do I have that kind of faith? I don't think I can. We don't think we're good enough. But yet we saw it time and time again. What did God tell Moses? Moses, I will be with you. Go. Go, I will be with you. Moses says, but God, I can't. God says, listen, let me show you again. Take the rod, throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. Take your hand, put it in your bosom. It becomes full of leprosy. God says, listen, I've got you. I'm showing you. I want to walk with you. I'm with you. Moses said, I can't. God said, ah, Aaron, would you go and speak to him? Because he can. And they still continued. But each step along the way, God said, I'm with you. I don't think sometimes that I have the influence that maybe I do. You don't think sometimes you have the influence maybe that you do. But God says, step out, go, do what I've called you to do. Have the boldness to stand up and listen. In this story in itself, the king steps back and what does the king say? He says, truly this is? (laughs) This God is real. Listen, in your life, it's time and time and time again, somebody's watching you because you put a smile on your face when you shouldn't have had a smile on your face and somebody from work and one of your family members says, how can you smile? How can there be joy in your life? And you look at them and you say, I I really don't know, but God has sustained me. God is holding me up. God is carrying me through. God is the one. This isn't me. But your faith has troubled them to the place that just like King ne- <coughs> excuse me, I don't have Corona. It's just like faith for Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar looks in in verse 28 and 29 in this passage of scripture. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. And yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, he changed the decree. I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Now, I don't believe that this should have been happening, but that's what he did. And their houses shall be made in dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. He went from saying, you only can worship this false idol to watching these three boys walk into the fire and saying, truly, the God that they serve is the God of all gods. You now must worship him. You must worship God Almighty. Chapter number four in verses one and three, Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Oops, I'm in the wrong one. 
chapter number four, verse number one, not verse number four. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. If you were to skip down to verses 34 and 35 of chapter number four. And at the end of the days, at the end of the days, at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the, the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are repu reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Three Hebrew boys who should never have sat before King Nebuchadnezzar, decided to have faith and a bold faith, changed eternity. Maybe it was just for one. But I would like to think that King Nebuchadnezzar and the, the high court that he sat in and the power that he had made a great influence in many. Ultimately, guys, your influence changes the world for all of eternity. And you may not look at it in the world in the sense of how can I reach somebody in the midst of whatever country or whatever. I'll never see those people. No, but you might reach one person across the street from you and you've changed their world. And that is what God has called us to do. I can't do everything. I can't save I can't do anything, but I can do the best that I can. I can strive to have a faith that points people, proclaims the word of God. I can have a faith that troubles the minds of the lost. And I can have a faith that changes the world because in that, I'm allowing God to do what God does. This morning, I just wonder, church, is my faith seen that would draw somebody to say, I don't understand, but I want something. It doesn't make sense, but there's a joy about his life that I want. Does my faith proclaim God Almighty in the actions that I take, not here on Sunday morning, I hope I have a faith that points you to God. But on Thursday, when I'm having a bad day and I'm at the store or my neighbor does something that I don't like or you can build that out to whatever, do I have a faith that points somebody to God? That troubles them? And that ultimately is a faith that can change their world. Let me ask you, I say this every week, and I believe that everybody in this room knows Christ as Savior just because I, for the most part, know you. But do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? 
Have you sat where you're sitting and walked where you walk and seen somebody that's caused you to be troubled because you're like, I need that? Have you sat in the church and heard me preach or heard Pastor Dan preach last week and thought, I don't fully know what that God is and what that joy is that they talk about, but I, my spirit is troubled, I'm stirred, I need God. 